Welcome and thanks for listening to the Spirit of Time podcast. It's a spirited discussion of watch topics and some of the cool bon vivant stuff that overlaps our hobby, especially fine spirits, craft beer, cocktails, and wine. In other words, if it's boozy, smoky, sudsy, or smooth, we'll probably talk about it. Think of it as a watch-focused happy hour for your commute. We are your hosts. I am Matt. I'm Greg. Thanks for listening and enjoy the episode. Once again, back. It's the incredible. What's up, Greg? You're back from uh, your trip back east. How did everything go? Everything was good. Travel, actual like air travel, middling. Um, but uh, hey, we got where we needed to go. We had a great time where we were. I can tell you a little bit about it, I guess. But uh, yeah, no, everything was good. And we're back in town now and just sort of settled back into the summer routine, which um, which feels good, but fleeting already. Seems uh, sad to say. No, it, it definitely feels like we're past that halfway point, like just when it's getting good. And then there's always that little melancholy in the back of my head, like, yeah, it's, you know, kind of a peak Sunday afternoon, you know, where you realize, oh man, tomorrow's Monday. That's, that's kind of how late July is where you're like, this is everything's starting to get awesome. Uh, crap. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's the truth. Right. And it goes fast. And, and, uh, so, you know, we're all just trying to take advantage of it. You know, the, 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 the temps have gotten very hot by us lately. So, you know, we're just trying to throw the kids in the pool as much as possible and just be outside, uh, you know, when it's cooled down a little bit, but spend as much time out there as we can. No, totally. I envy you having the pool. I have, uh, I I'm reminded of that famous scene in Caddyshack with Carl, you know, it's, there's a pool, a <laughs> pond, I have a pond, but no, <laughs> I ain't swimming in it. But, um, and yeah, for, for people who don't know, it's a small pond. I mean, it's, it's about 14, 15 feet in length and maybe three feet deep, but, uh, I've, you know, I've got my fish in there. And like I said, there's, there's no way I'm taking a dip in that. So I need to maybe install some misters or something. It's not a bad idea. 
Yeah, out by the green you, egg. Yeah, yeah, because you had taken care of the the sunshades um, last year, right? To give yourself some sort of extra uh, shade in the breezeway there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So the breezeway is kind of now my little tiki haven when I walk through, um, which is nice. But it, you know, right now, even even with the the shade, you know, there's uh, it, it's pretty hot. So I wouldn't mind misters in there. That would be pretty rad. I think that That'd might be, be a very a, cool a bridge too far for the wife. Like, hey, <laughs> you need to do a little bit DIY in the house, maybe. Eh, maybe, maybe, maybe. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. But anyway, um, yeah. So, dude, last uh, when you were out, we were fortunate to have uh, Balash from Fortello come in and sort of guest host and do some chit chat. And we we talked about a lot of stuff. It was a good episode and I wish you were there for it. But on the plus side, I think we we can definitely have him back. Yeah, for sure. It was a great episode. I loved it. Uh, Balash, good, great, great job. Now that we've had both uh, uh, members of Fratello on air. Um, I think we need to circle back around and maybe get the whole crew, you know, on a, on a, on an episode, which would be a ton of fun. So yeah, you guys did awesome. It was fun because you, I think obviously you had a few things that you were hoping to, you know, talk to, to him about specifically. And then you, you guys really just organically took it to a lot of fun places. Uh, Magnum PI, you know, maybe most notably. Yeah. Well, we'll come back to that in a little bit, but that was, I mean, for me, that was a fun detour and that's kind of you know, blown up into its own little thing, which is kind of cool. And like I said, we'll, we'll circle back on it. In the meantime, what do you think? Do you want to do a, uh, a wrist check, poor check? How about you? Yeah, let's do it. Um, I'm going to do wrist first. And then I think we're going to maybe foreshadow a little bit of, of some topic that we have that'll, that'll come into play as we do uh, maybe a, a poor check together on the wrist is uh, this really, this, I don't know really much to say about it. This is the uh, this is a, a Lugrin uh, automatic self winding three hander. I'm guessing it's from the '60s uh, or something like that. We've I've shown this to you. We've talked about it a little bit on the pod before. This was part of a trio of watches that was um, sent to me from my great grandfather. Well, I shouldn't say from him. They were his, my great grandfather's. They were sent to me by by my uncle, who was. Uh, um, that was his grandfather and he thought that I would enjoy, you know, taking care of these and cleaning them up and getting them going again, which I obviously have. There was a uh, gold plated Hamilton Seabreeze, which is probably my favorite of the bunch. It's just so fun and funky in seventies. Uh, it looks super seems, cool. Yeah, that's great. Right. And then it's Lugrin, uh, which is pretty basic. Uh, I shouldn't say basic, just pretty like standard fare, you know, kind of a little bit mid-century sort of that silver sun sunburst style. Um, maybe the one calling card is it's got, you know, this big kind of blocky, uh, cool font 12 and then uh, a really neat, uh, Timex Marlin, which is a, a manual wine, which is even smaller than this. It's gotta be about 33 millimeters. Um, and that thing's really cool with some ba- very Bauhaus, uh, 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 numeral set on there. But anyway, I've got this one on the wrist because Lugrin to my understanding does no longer exist. And, uh, and that might play into what we talk about. Um, a little bit down the road. Oh yeah, 100%. It's going to. Do you want to, uh, oh, how about this then? I'll lead with the poor check because I think we're basically doing the same thing and this is kind of symbolic. I'm going to do the audio sound effect here and crack this thing open. Double. Boom. Yeah. This is, uh, as you know, because you're pouring the same thing, this is Anchor Brewing's Anchor steam beer. Let's see if we can get the sounds here. 
might be a little bit too quiet pouring into the glass. I even I caught the, uh, I caught it on my headphones. Right on. Yeah, this is um kind of a a bittersweet moment. It's one of my favorite beers. I think it's one of a lot of people's favorite beers. And this is very much a, you know, the king is dead, long live the king kind of a, a poor check for us. Anchor Brewing is, I believe I have the facts right, is the oldest standing brewery in California. One of the oldest, maybe the oldest craft brew operations in you know, and I say craft brew in air quotes. I don't, I don't think they called it craft brew back then, but, um, you know, basically I think kind of ushered in that new wave of quality beer consumption that you started to see, you know, with brands like Anchor and Sam Adams, uh, you know, Sierra Nevada and, and others, you know, you mentioned, I think Yingling, um, you know, these are, these were not necessarily small brands at the time, but they're, they're good. They're not macro. And, you know, news came out last week, uh, that anchor is no more. It's basically, it's, it's folding up shop. I think, um, you know, there's just, there's, there's a variety of reasons that people have speculated. I haven't seen anything official, but, uh, yeah, it's it's a bummer for people who who like beer, people who are you know into California beer scene. Um, Anchor was the first, and you know certainly one of the most consistent good producers. So I poured one out for the homies here. Cheers, Cheers to Anchor to Brewing. I've got mine in a Yingling cup, which is America's oldest brewery out of Pottsville, Pennsylvania. Um, yeah, man, you know I, I I think I came across a you know, the, the, the news wire earlier in the week. And I sent it over to you immediately. Cause I know that you do appreciate anchor steam as do I, and we've even talked about it before, uh, on the pod, maybe, it, you know, a, a, a general recommendation or a poor check. We've definitely brought it up at least once, if not more than once. You know, I didn't think to do this in advance, but now that you say that, I mean, I want to say at least one or two of our, you know, previous guests have mentioned Anchor, you know, I, I, I would love to hit rewind and see, Hey, did Asha Wagner talk about anchor? Did, uh, I, I want to say Mike Stockton mentioned. Uh, anchor? I was going to say Mike, I thought so too. I think it's something yeah. he grabs when he's stateside. Yep, exactly. So it's, it's definitely, it is a bummer because it's, um, it, it's for approachable beers like this. It's one of the most like well-balanced. It's got great color. It's kind of for my palate anyway, it's like a really perfect balance of like hoppiness and malt. You know, it's not, you know, a typical West Coast. I mean, it's not an IPA period, but, uh, you know, it's not like what you find on so many shelves where you can go, you know, to a modern, you know, place to buy beer from a variety of brands and you're going to find an IPA, an IPA, a double IPA, another IPA, an East Coast IPA, a cloudy IPA, uh, you know, and it's. (laughs) I think I, I think I see what you're getting at. <laughs> right, right. So I mean, it was it was always refreshing uh, to you know to have a, you know a, a glass of anchor, and yeah. So that actually is what's in the glass for both of us. And just very briefly on wrist, I am wearing the. This has mm-hmm. kind of been on the wrist a lot lately with that Magnum PI vibe challenge that we'll come back to. But this is the you know the Tudor Black Bay GMT. This is my my Pepsi Rolex adjacent GMT, and I'm I'm wearing the shirt and the Hawaiian shirt and everything. So, 
and uh, even though this is a, an audio format, I do want the folks to know that you, you did attempt to give me a, a, a full vision of your short shorts. And uh, I have to say with a laptop, you know, sort of at desk level, I felt, I felt a little bit, uh, you know, I felt a little bit like I had to close my eyes. <laughs> hey man, we kept it family friendly, but yeah, I definitely, uh, I have kind of the, you know, the sand colored, um, almost UDT shorts, uh, so yeah, it goes pairs well with Coop's beer and a GMT watch and a uh, a loud red Hawaiian shirt. So that's right, man. That's it. It's it's spot on. Um, well, before we get into sort of maybe what we have the topic of, I think you know there was a few things that we are we've been up to lately. I figured maybe we could just share what we've been up to and touch touch base on that if that's okay with you. Yeah, man. Jump right in. Yeah. So I think on the last episode we talked pretty. Um, pretty at length about the Forstner flat link bracelet, uh, which was pretty much a slam dunk on the Railmaster. And I think both you and I were fans of that look, but also, and you've been wearing Forstner for a while. And actually I think you had recently acquired some additional Forstners um, on your own dime as well. I did. Yeah. So that one, you know, the, the ones that you've been photographing were sort of lent in for review and that's pretty epic. Um, but I've had, uh, I've got this watch again, this is the Tudor GMT. This is on there. I think they would call it, you know, like a five link or I think they call it like the model J it's, it's the, don't call it a Jubilee Jubilee style, but in terms of like the construction of the links and, and the way they've executed this, it's really, really good. There's no sharp edges. It feels, you know, um, very solid and it breathes without being too heavy. I I love this bracelet. And then, yeah, I got their straight bar beads of rice style for um, my Imperial Royal Guard. And that's the most recent. And I really like that one too. Yeah, that looks great. I noticed you've been wearing the Royal Guard a lot lately, which is a fun, a fun wear. Um, so we, we talked about the flat link and then we also just put the uh, their bullet bracelet on the Railmaster for some photographs too and threw that up on the uh, on the Instagram. Um, that looks great. It's a little more traditional look probably for the Railmaster, you know, but um, really solid alternative. And I have to say um, that the screws on that one were, were a cinch. I mean, that was a very easy resize. Um, and I think the only thing we shared last time that was maybe – some constructive feedback was, was, Hey, you know, let's, let's see if we can make those screws a little easier to get out of the links. And, uh, and this one was, was really not, not, not difficult at all. So, um, again, another home run from Forstner. It's easy to see why everybody loves them. You know, we had a bunch of people say, Hey, you know, I think I need to throw one on the Speedmaster or one on the Seamaster. So hopefully people got a chance to maybe, um, you know, get our, 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 our insights on it. Yeah, well, I think now between us, I mean, effectively, we have five different models on different watches. I, I would love to see. I don't think it does because they're very specific in their um, on the website for sales that that bullet is a pre two thousand eighteen. Correct. Yeah. You know. So, but I've, as you know, I have the two thousand eighteen, the you know, the update Seamaster three hundred M, which you have right now. But that would be fantastic to see that. I do believe they do have something that works for it. So that would be kind of a cool way to go. Cause again, as cool as the flat link is just visually, I'm like, eh, you know, I like the, the bullet style. Uh, and that's what I would want to try on a variety of watches. And I do think it looks phenomenal on your Railmaster. Yeah, no, thanks. It agreed. So we were super, 
super excited to, to partner with those guys on that. And, uh, and we'll see, maybe there's more in the future, but, um, but yeah, no, other than that, like you said, I was away when you were uh, playing with, with Balash, which I was, I was jealous about and, and, and sort of caught on, on my commute, you know, back home, but we were sort of back Philadelphia area for a wedding, which was a ton of fun, made sure to get in a, a visit to Rita's water ice. And, um, but it was, it was fast, man. It was busy, right? It was like you get in, you had to, pick up a tux, then you had to go to a rehearsal dinner, then you had to go to the, to the wedding. And so, you know, it was like fast, fast, fast. And then, um, but then we didn't slow down the pace afterwards. We went down to lower Delaware, went down to the beaches. Um, so think like Rehoboth, you know, Bethany, um, Dewey, if you're familiar with that area, um, and had a lot of fun down there, just getting on boats and driving the truck right onto the beach. You know, it's a, it's a drive on beach. So you, pull the truck right up, throw the fishing rod, you know, right in, in, in the sand and crack open the cooler. I mean, it's about as good as you can get. Right. Um, and so that was a chance to slow down and, and sort of enjoy a little bit of beach time. And, um, so it was a good trip. It was a good trip. We had a long layover on the way back, which was unplanned, but it's just how it goes. And, uh, ironically, we, <laughs> we took advantage of, of the layover in Minneapolis and went over to the mall of America, which we'd never been to and took the kids to the the freaking amusement park that's in the middle of it. Literally, it's like a Knott's Berry farm in the middle of the mall. It's crazy. That's incredible. Yeah. Hey, man, so I, I have a question for you. And I'm, I'm kind of poking fun, but this is kind of genuinely a question. In in Western PA, do they say Wooter too? I don't I don't think so. It's it, it's a very they have their own they have their own um, sort of pronunciations and 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 terminology and verbs and you know they they say yins it's it, it yeah, it's it's, it's a little closer yeah it's a little closer to like a almost like a midwestern i think mine definitely it's closer to the midwest than it is to the east coast but yeah anyway the water thing i think is a very philadelphia centric eastern yeah, pa pe- thing people from de bergen that yeah i'll tell you i never went to pittsburgh my entire life until i went to a, a wedding maybe well, it was a couple years ago now but you know i grew up my whole life out there and then every time i would go back i'd never been to pittsburgh until I went to a wedding, you know, maybe 10 or 12 years ago and, um, yeah, it's a cool city, but it's far away from Philly, man. I'll tell you, there's a lot of places I'll go instead of driving six hours to Pittsburgh. Yeah. Well, I can understand that. Although every, I hear a lot of good things. It's sort of like, and not to blow any sunshine, you know, um, up the nethers of our friends from whiskey and watches, but Cincinnati is one of those places that it, like Pittsburgh is very intriguing to me. Um, just, you know, having passed through one time as a kid, you know, just driving through, um, I would love to check that out. Pittsburgh seems the same way. It's kind of like, uh, you know, like Milwaukee, just very salt of the earth. It's, it's big enough to feel like you can kind of do a lot of stuff there, but small enough to feel like it's still very real and not plasticky and, you know, West coasty or, or you know, New York or whatever. There's, there's great things about all these places, but that's just one of those where it's, I'm sure they've got their kind of their own vibe. Definitely. And when bringing it back to baseball, I know you and Balash were talking baseball, football, basketball, but uh, all great ballparks in all those cities. Um, so that would be a fun way to, 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 to tie something into that too. Dude. Yeah. I, man, we should do a, uh, like a, just a bomber 48 hour there and back like road trip to Cincy. No, I mean, not literally a road trip. We'd fly. Okay, okay. Yeah, right, yeah. right, right, right. I'm, I'm talking like, you know, catch like a red eye on a Thursday night, you know, get there Friday morning, hang out all day Friday, all day Saturday, come home like Sunday afternoon, you know, fly back in time, 
you know, get, get here in time to basically go, uh, go to bed and go to work on Monday, but, you know, catch, catch a ball game, go hang out with the fellas from, uh, you know, red bar Cincy and the whiskey and watches guys. That would be so cool. That would be cool. And here's the thing. We'll throw it out there and and certainly they can feel free to, 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 to not take us up on this, but they could, and maybe they have, I'm trying to think I've listened to most of this stuff for quite a while now, but they should do a, uh, like a, like we did a 48 hours in, in SoCal. They so should do I a 48 think, hours in Cincy because we got great feedback on that episode. People want us to do more. Yeah, they. I I believe they did, or at least kind of as a partial oh, topic. As part of the bourbon, right? There was a. It was the bourbon. Was it bourbon trail adjacent or no? I think so. It had something to do with Buzzies. I want to say Buzz took a trip to. Um, they both went to different places, right? It was yeah. Kentucky. It was like it was like uh, Lexington and and Louisville. Is that what they did? Something like that. Okay. Right. Yeah, right. Right. Yeah. 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 You're yeah. Right. yeah. But um, exactly. Yeah. You know what? Let's we'll have them fly out here and do our our 48 hour recommendation and we'll go there. Yeah. And then might as well throw it out to Bro and Schmidt. Throw us another, you know, 48 hours in your locale. Yeah. Do some Long Island or Texas or whatever. Anyhow, right on. Well, hey, dude, let's not uh, kind of belabor this. We were both, I think, crying like literally in our in our beers or I guess that's literally figuratively crying in our beers about the um the demise of anchor brewing and we started to think like hey what are some other great either defunct or dormant brands or brands that have morphed so much but you know that we they've got this really interesting kind of historical or maybe cultural significance um that just don't exist anymore and we're about to see maybe, maybe, maybe not, because there is maybe a glimmer of hope that the brand may continue for Anchor. But Anchor is probably about to join the uh, the pantheon of fallen heroes, brand-wise. And we wanted to kind of review a few of those. So what do you think? We want to uh, jump back into that uh, that main topic? Yeah, let's do it. Um, you know, I thought this was a cool topic. I thought that you you actually really sort of developed. I sent you this link, you know, about Anchor closing, which was sort of like caught off the press or whatever. And you were like, man, you know, we should talk about this and, and other stuff. And I'm like, you were like, other things have gone away. And then we started ball, you know, sort of workshopping. We're like, well, watches, of course. But then you brought it at way bigger scope than that. And so we have a, I think, a fun mix of, um, fun mix of, you know, other beers, you know, car, you know, automotive, air, you know, um, airline and, and sort of aviation related. It's really, really bigger than we were even thinking at first because, you know, it, it, the obvious tie-in was watches. And then it's really interesting too with the watch piece because there's been so many of the zombie brand stuff lately, which is great. We love it. I mean, there's, you know, when you bring back a Nevada Grinch and when you bring back, you know, um, you know, Woolbrook or whatever, I mean, it's great. I mean, people, those are watches that people appreciated, enjoyed. They're given, you know, a new life. So there's an obvious tie-in to the watches, but it's, it's bigger than that, which I appreciate you sort of opening the aperture for us on the topic. Oh yeah. I mean, and a lot of that stuff, when you think about it, the watch stuff, is cool because as you say, you know, I don't, I hesitate to use that term zombie brand. It's, it does seem a little derogative, I guess. It's right. It? It's got, it, there's a, a, an air of the pejorative about I, that. Yeah. I didn't mean yeah. it like that, but you're right. That's because that's just what people have been using. Sure. Exactly. And I've heard the same kind of terminology, but I, yeah, I think as you say, you know, you mentioned Nevada Grenchen. We had um, John on, you know, with uh, uh, kind of cruising for vintage vibes a few episodes ago, right? With Mosquito Boat, that Tornick Ravel. I know a lot of people, myself included, had speculated two, three, five years ago that, you know, Blanc Pond Swatch should reinvigorate that brand and basically have like a sub killer. Everybody wants a sub killer, you know, mm-hmm. um, but, uh, you know, 
a Tornick Ravel brand could do it. Well, okay, Bill Yao did it and he's doing it. Kudos Good. to him. And Bill Yao, Bill Yao's like, like the he's like the OG like success story of of several of these, really. Yeah, totally. 100%. Well, let's go with this. So we've we mentioned Anchor a little bit as kind of the leadoff, right? Do you want to talk about another, you know, famous uh brewer as our first installment? Yeah, let's do that. And then, you know, maybe as we dovetail into that, you can touch on how you, so the updated, so people are going to be like, oh, there's more news to the anchor stuff. The updated piece that we were talking about just today, I guess, is that the, that the workers, that the anchor, you know, workers union essentially is attempting to acquire the brand back from, I believe it's Sapporo, right? It got sold to Sapporo, uh, you know, in, a, in an effort to make it sort of a worker's co-op, you know, co-op owned, right? So th- there's the story is still developing to your point, but, you know, seems like there's a lot of uh, uh, potential hurdles in the way on that one. Yeah, correct. I mean, if, I mean, if nothing else, right, there's the, the issue of getting sort of the IP associated with the brand and the branding, you know, back, uh, if they could do it, um, or if they could, you know, riff off of it in some way, I wish them luck. You know, it's, um, it's not, easy to do business as a brewing operation of any size in California anyway. But uh, it would be great to see the brand continue with the, you know, the original recipes and stuff like that. So I think the next one you had lined up and I forgot about it, which is a shame because it it plays a large role in my life for a couple of reasons, but me um, too. Oh my God. Schlitz. What a great label. What a great beer that well. I mean, depends at what point in your, you know, in its lifetime or your lifetime you drank it, I guess, but Schlitz, man. Oh man. Right. The, the beer that made Milwaukee famous, I think is the, <laughs> uh, used to be sort of the tagline. So I think there's a caveat here, right? Cause I think, and I could be wrong, but I think that technically Schlitz brand still exists. But I think it is a completely different product line. It's very niche. I think it's, um, you know, like the the big heavyweight, like malt liquor kind of stuff. It is. It's not the, you know, the beer in a can that you buy in a uh, in a twelve pack. That you know would have been sort of at home next to, you know, classic Coors or a beer like Anchor. But I think that does still exist. And it was for the longest time, it was one of the biggest powerhouse beer brands in this country. Like in, in all of North America, it was huge, distributed basically everywhere. Um, I've seen, you know, pictures of GIs overseas in Europe in World War II, you know, just kind of candid photos with, you know, cans of Schlitz beer, you know, that got over to uh. them and it's, you know, it was a favorite for my grandfather growing up. I mean, we're from basically, you know, uh, suburban Chicago and spent a lot of time between Chicago and Milwaukee, you know, just as a family. And it was, it was a fixture. It was everywhere. It really was. Um, my dad drank it. I mean, a lot. I mean, and we used to give him crap a little bit about it. This is probably, God, when is this? Maybe the nineties probably. And, uh, we used to give him a little bit of, you know, a little bit, we used to kind of razz him a little bit like, Hey man, every once in a while you can pull his, 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 uh, his splurge beer was like St. Paulie's girl. You know, if you wanted to get like a, like an import, you know, or he wanted to spend a couple of bucks, if he, you know, he might get, or if it was like a party, maybe like a big party, but otherwise, you know, he'd come home on a Friday, man. They're just case of Schlitz. 
Yeah, no, that would be the deal. And but here's the thing, right? Think of how how much potential there is for a brand like Schlitz. And I'm sorry because I'm going to kind of throw you under the bus or paint you with the brush or whatever. But the the millennial brush. But how many people kind of ironically started drinking Pabst Blue Ribbon? Oh, and you can, like, was absolutely an ironic hipster beer right, choice for it, a while. Exactly, and you know that was something that you know. I think, it, again, is very much, you know, would have been a, a contemporary brand offering to, you know, the Schlitz of, as I remember it from, you know, the basically 60s, 70s, 80s. And, it's, and it's, I, yeah, oh, no, you're exactly right. You're exactly right. And, and and it's funny because PBR has been pretty going pretty strong for a while. But and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think PBR was pretty down and out for a little while. And I don't know if they were close to folding or if they did or they were, you know, they're, they're, they're operating pretty well right now. And ironically, I think they ended up, do they, do they, do they own Schlitz now or who owns Schlitz now? So I think the brand, you know, um, has changed hands a number of times, meaning the the ownership of of the rights to the brand now, you know, but it's, so like I said, it's, there is a product that is out there. I think you can find, at least there there used to be, um, that had the the name Schlitz on it, but it was nothing like the you know the kind of uh, uh, light lager kind of style beer that you would have found, you know, when I was a kid on on the dock at Lake Geneva in Wisconsin in mm-hmm. 1979. Mm-hmm. Not that I ever drank that beer as a kid wow. in 1979. Oh. Oh, okay. Well, I'll give you the same treatment. So uh, we, we, we also did not end up with approximately probably seven to 10 cases of Schlitz, which was the only thing that we were able to acquire on a, on a trip down to Ocean City, Maryland for senior week, <laughs> circa 2000, 2001. And, uh, and it sat for a little while, but everybody was everybody basically got rationed a number of schlitzes that they had to that they had to take care of. Otherwise, we weren't going to do anything with it. it had, you had to, everybody had to take care of their seven or eight or ten schlitzes or whatever it was. <laughs> oh yeah, that's awesome. But that's yeah. uh, but that yeah, it was just it was from a different time. I mean, I of course we do not advocate this. I mean, literally it is in the, in the final notes, right? We talk about, you know, adult beverages and, and, you know, beer and wine and stuff like that. Obviously, please be careful, you know, don't drink and drive, et cetera. But I mean, these are, this was a beer that was popular back when the drinking age was 18 in a lot of States. Uh, there was no open container laws in, in some of no. these places when Schlitz was available. Uh, it was just, just again, a different let's time. Let's put it this way. It was a different time. Let's put it this way. When I talked to my family or friends of, of that generation, you know, it's hard for me to believe, but I think about to like, if you watch Daisy and Confused and you just pop the trunk and there's just a couple coolers or the, the trunk is just filled with ice and a number of beers. And it's is it different? It's not okay. It's just a different place, man. Different time. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Well, and, and to bring it all the way full circle. I mean, Schlitz has gotten some good, some good, uh, uh, burn here, but, uh, you know, I mean, who you can't forget, you know, uh, super troopers when Favre walks into the, into the party and it's an open bar and he says, open bar. And he says, I'll have six schlitzes or, or whatever's free. Yeah. Or whatever's free. <laughs> classic, classic, classic. Hey man. Well, you know, again, it's sort of, uh, 
that's probably emblematic, right, of a time when Schlitz was understood to be kind of subpar in as much it was just very pedestrian, not not bad, yeah. but just, you know, kind of a pedestrian offering. But, you know, in the 70s, that was what was that was what was available. That was a fine beer. And that was kind of what people expected. Yeah, it's, it's cool to see your perspective on it versus mine, because they're like you said, they're they're sort of on a different end of the spectrum. But uh, it's just given on on sort of where the, the timeline of that company was. Yeah, totally. Well, that's two beer brands. Schlitz, so long we hardly knew ye. Um, but we've also got, there's a couple of car brands. I mean, we, we don't advocate uh, drinking and driving, as I said before, but we are going to talk about cars briefly. Do, do you remember Saturn? I do remember Saturn. I never, I've never owned one. Um, I'll be honest. I don't think I've ever been in one, um, but I still see them even today. I'll see one. I'll see one. I mean, it's not like a completely rare bird. I'll see them, but yeah, there, there's not a whole lot of them on the road anymore. Yeah. And that's another one to me. Okay. So again, this is like a, a, a brand in the General Motors family, right? Of, of automotive brands. Saturn was ahead of its time. And it'd be interesting to see if they, if it in some way kind of reemerged or if it was, you know, breaking ground now. But the whole point back then was the dealerships were really small. Um, they did not have a lot of stock. Uh, I think maybe... So our family did have one. We had like the little, the, uh, the two door coupe and that was a fun little car to kind of roost around in, but it was the kind of thing where, you know, it was a lot of just in time manufacturing. There was a lot of kind of configuration possible. You'd go in, you'd basically order it, spec it how you wanted. You wouldn't pick out a car from the lot. There wouldn't be a bunch of stock floating around at other local dealerships that they could, you know, truck in for you or whatever. You'd order the car. They'd build it for you. You'd get it, you know, three, four months later. And it was that kind of a thing. And, you know, I think in terms of costs, I know nothing about the the automotive industry, but it seems like that's the kind of thing that should have been more sustainable. But maybe it just wasn't frankly cool enough and didn't have the staying power. I think I want to say as a brand, it probably lasted no more than what, 20 years? Or yeah, less? which is definitely seems on the low end for on the automotive side, you, you made an interesting comment. It definitely, um, you know, I'm just going to put this out there and someone can, you can debate me or anybody can debate me. It definitely did not, it was not a cool brand. Um, so, you know, it seemed maybe like young and hip at the moment, I guess not young and hip. I just said, it's not cool. Young. Well, you're absolutely right. I was going to say they, um, I think what they were aiming for and definitely like the, the vibe they were kind of creating. I, I don't know how many times I can use that word vibe in this episode, but you know, the, um, that fe- look and feel is I think what is now, and maybe for the past eight or 10 years has been occupied by Subaru. Interesting. Interesting. You know, slightly, slightly granola, long beard, you know, um, basically the, the zoom class, you know, type of person. Um, yeah, because it was it was like a it, it did seem sort of like a yeah. Now you, you know I think you're actually onto something there. It was sort of a in that time and place that was the response. Maybe I don't want to drive a Cadillac. Well, it's not the same class, but like I don't want to. That's not what I want to drive. That's not what I'm interested in driving. Those aren't the brands I even aspire to. Probably. 
Yeah, exactly. Like if you know, if you don't want to drive a, a Honda or a Toyota or a you know a kind of a mid-range Pontiac or something like that from GM, but it was yeah, it was supposed to be for the you know slightly more affluent. Um, I think, uh, you know, kind of what we would now call a hipster, you know, and that I think was what they were aiming for. At least that's how it was perceived, you know, among my generation, you know, in the, in the very early nineties when they were starting to kind of proliferate in Southern California, it was, you know, free spirited and not corporate and yeah, you know, young, young families, um, Again, not to use another brand's name, but very much like what you see with Subaru now. I should have gone back and watched some of the commercials uh, in prep for this because I'm trying to think back to what they were like. And uh, I bet you that would have sort of informed, it would have helped like re um, reaffirm what my, like some of our thoughts were, you know, because I, I none, none of them are standing out to me, but I bet you I would remember them as, as I watched them again. Yeah, hit us up in the... Uh in the DMS or what have you for spirit of time. If you listen to this in a week or two and you're like nodding to yourself in the car, as you listen to this right now, like, yeah, I had a Saturn or my parents had a Saturn, you know, 30 years ago. Um, that would be kind of fun. As I said, I had a a good friend, um, and he and his girlfriend, they had one and we basically, you know, did all kinds of stuff together that was just kind of, that car was a fixture for them. And then, you know, it was basically my mom had the, uh, the two door and I was, I was driving around in like the stodgy, you know, four door Volvo, which now I would love to have that thing back. Yeah. That would be great. I love yeah. those. I had the, the Swedish Panzer is what my, my father-in-law called that thing. I had the, I think it was a model year, 1986, 240 DL four door white white on, you know, uh, tan interior. And, uh, dude, that was a great car. Great oh, car. Yeah. Man. I've had a couple of Volvos, a couple of Audis. Um, the Volvo definitely had a lot of character. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm jealous. I had a, a friend growing up and, and they had some really cool cars too. Mostly, mostly like early to mid to late eighties, all European. And it was just fun stuff. You know, I mean, they had a, you know, old, uh, one ninety E's and, and, and two forty, you know, Volvo two forties. And, um, you know, they had a, they had an 86, nine 11, which was obviously super fun. And, um, God, what else did they have? Um, Oh, he had an old, uh, he had a, did they have a 2002 or no, maybe he just had an old three series, probably like an 85 or 86, three series. Anyway, super fun stuff. We definitely did not have any of that fun stuff. Um, we had such, such, such super practical cars, Ford Tauruses and the like. Oh yeah. It's, Hey, it's all good. We did not make any notes for this and it's not, it's not a dead brand, but it is so different than what it used to be. I don't even know that Volvo is a Swedish owned brand anymore. I, I could be wrong about that. Yeah. But I mean, it's, they're very different design language wise. Um, yeah, I don't know. You could you could almost say that it's it would fit in with this kind of topic as a category unto itself, but who knows. But yeah, that was Saturn. They were um, you know, at the time advanced materials. I think, you know, there's a lot of uh, you know, kind of advanced plastics and things like that used in in the body panels and things like that to save weight, make it efficient. Um Yeah, kind of cool, different. 
I sort of miss them. I don't want one. You know, I'm not like pining for one or, or, you know, cruising through auto trader for one, but <laughs> it, it was, it was a moment in time and that, yeah. I guess that moment is gone. Yeah, no, I think so too. I think so too. Two brands, I guess you had written down earlier too, that were also throwbacks, but probably had more staying power. I mean, quite frankly, when they went away, it was a little bit surprising, right? Was uh, both Oldsmobile and and Mercury. I mean, both of those were were brands that were along around for quite quite a bit longer than Saturn. No, absolutely. So yeah, Oldsmobile being under the the General Motors umbrella and Mercury is a uh, you know kind of under the Ford umbrella. And when I was a little kid, my mom had a Mercury. I don't know what the uh, it was a Cougar. I don't know exactly what model. I mean, I must have been five at the most. You know, and uh, you asked me if it was a coupe or not, and I I remember it being a coupe, but I think it might have just been because we lived in Chicago and probably never had the top down. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, but, right. Uh, that was one of those things where it's like, oh man, I wish I had more, you know, family like photographs with that car in it to see what it was. I, you know, my mom's passed away. I don't know what color it was or anything. I mean, I was I was just a little kid. But those were those were neat, and when you occasionally see one in good nick, I mean, they're those things are pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, for sure. There's that's a lot of character on those ones for 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 sure. Um, and I remember a buddy of mine got an Oldsmobile in high school. He had a twin brother, and he they were sharing the family car. Well, they you know basically acquired one of the family cars to share. And he was tired of sharing. He was going to go out and buy his own car, even though they you know had the ability to share a car without having purchased it. And so he ended up with an Oldsmobile. And uh, even at that time, this is probably again, yeah, late nineties, early two thousands, you know, an Oldsmobile was sort of this <laughs> relic, this sort of dinosaur, you know, um, which was funny, but, uh, but the Mercury's were, were quite a bit cooler. Yeah. If some of these brands could have held out just a little bit longer, right. Then, you know, the, like the, the hipsters, the millennials could have found them and, you know, made them popular. Oh. Yeah, just, if they, I could, I, my preference for Oldsmobile, honestly, and I've, it comes down to one thing and it is the most shallow, dumb thing ever, but it sounds better as a brand name than Buick. Yeah. Yeah, it does. It really does. And Buick is still going. Yeah, that Buick was basically the brand that they retained to be like, you know, the step below Cadillac in yep, exactly you know, in, in terms of like kind of the, the premium segment. And, you know, Oldsmobile was basically supposed to be right below that, but I'm not buying it. I think, you know, Oldsmobile is like a uh maybe a new reimagined wagon the way Ford did with the Flex about 10 years ago. Remember that thing? Yeah. Yeah. I agree with you though. I think like you said, had any of these folks been able to hold out for just a quite a bit, a little bit longer, they might've been found the way to, to sort of, you know, be front and center again. Have you seen, this is a little off topic, but when you said that, it reminded me of this. Have you seen this, this Hyundai concept? It's called like the grandeur. Okay. I'm looking at it right now, dude. This screams <laughs> Chrysler K car. <laughs> yeah. This is what great, right? Hell. <laughs> I saw wow. this. I don't remember when this came out. What's this? Uh, uh, this is, I guess, almost two years old now. So I don't know if it, they're moving it forward or not. But man, I mean, like you said, just the irony of bringing something back like that right now, right? Would be, would be, it, it would be received probably. Yeah, I think maybe very different. Yeah. 
Well, yeah, for people who are not uh, not able to see this, which is basically everybody except you, Greg just sent me a link to this thing, and it's uh, it it does it looks basically like a you know black on black Chrysler K car from <laughs> like right about right about the time of like the the Lee Iacocca era. I don't <laughs> yeah. know if that name I don't know if that name means anything to you. It does, but, yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's like, oh my god, that thing. It's it's hideous, but it's so ugly. It's cute. Exactly. It's some sort of Hyundai concept. It's an EV. I don't know if they're going to produce it or not, but yeah, Hyundai Grandeur. Go check everybody. Type it in the type it in your browser and and scope it. Let us know what you think. It's wild. Boy, well, I tell you what, that is an ugly car. But you know what is not <laughs> ugly? Tell me, Nina Rent. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The the Nina, the evil Nina, the pole router, Universal Genève, gone too soon, baby. That has to be the poster child of sort of what we're talking about. And I think as you and I started to build it out and, and you really took it, I think, another whole other level, immediately, you know, we were talking about Anchor Steam and it's like, what other watches are, are gone that we wished weren't? I mean, Universal Genève is quite clearly the poster child of what this topic is all about. Yeah, very much. I mean, I think for people listening to us, you know, we have all these different overlapping areas, right? If you if you polled a hundred of our listeners, some people are going to be into you know travel and fine spirits and craft beer and um, you know shout out to Kelly Beer Nye, um, you know, or or aviation or you know the military history stuff or whatever. But everybody's into watches, and it's hard to find people who don't like something from. Universal Genève, and they made so many really cool things. And it's, I think for some people, it's gotten to the point where they can kind of roll their eyes and be like, okay, yeah, we get it. You know, gold pole router, you know, evil Nina, whatever. It's, I'm over it. But they're, they're phenomenal watches design wise. And they, they would absolutely be crushing it today. They, I mean, it'd be hard to understand how they couldn't, quite frankly. Um, and I, I probably would say that a pole router, and to your point, listen, this is not, you know, unearthed or newly discovered material, of course. You know, they've been hot for, for some time. That's probably one of the few watches that I don't own that I really feel like I probably should. And I, it feels like a hole sort of in the box. Um, it's just freaking, listen, good stuff is just good sometimes. Yeah, they were, I mean, I can't think of anything that was bad from them where you're just like, nah, that's a schlock fest or whatever. You know, there's so many cool things. I mean, our buddy Chase has a couple, right, that are... Oh, the Ultrasonics. Those are really, really cool. Watches. Oh, man, those are you know, great. And there's, how many different varieties of pole router were there? You know, there's, you know, in, in precious metal, they look great. I think Jimmy has at least one, maybe two. Um, you know, our buddy watch fiend, they're really, really great watches, very kind of, they've got a claim to kind of historical significance. They call back to me for the, the airline connection. I love that stuff. Yeah, it's great. I mean, they they've got the chronographs for, for the chrono heads, um, which are obviously, you know, well, well, well sought out, um, three handers, classy, funky. I mean, they do it all. They, they, well, they did it all. And, uh, yeah, if they were, if they were around or somebody, you know, was able to figure that out, um, man, you know, they, 
that was that was sort of that was sort of what like the kind of wis like you know hidden secret right for 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 a little while maybe i don't know what would you call it 10 years ago maybe I think that's about right. You know, 10 to 12 years ago, I know, you know, one of the sort of the bad raps, and it's certainly not the fault of the brand or the watches, but, you know, some people have a bad taste in their mouth. And this is completely speculative on their part. And I guess my part, because I'm about to kind of articulate it. But I mean, a lot of people, I've heard negative talk basically about these watches because they were easy to buy. So certain people, certain entities maybe acquired a lot of them over the course of a few years, then used platforms to hype them and then trickled them out into the market at, at grossly inflated prices. But there's still, there's some good ones that are available, you know, that are not crazy prices and at, at, at any price, well, I guess maybe not at any price, that's the wrong way to put it, but they're good looking watches with historical significance from a brand that was important and that did a lot of interesting things in terms of design. I I don't, I would, given the choice, like if it's a perfect condition as new, if you gave me a choice between like an, an old Daytona and an evil Nina, I would take the universal Genève all day long. Tell you what, I think it would speak a lot to what you valued and, and sort of why you would have chosen that, right? Like, Hey, I just think aesthetically and maybe, you know, from a watchmaking perspective, I just appreciate this more. Anyway, I think it's a statement in a good way. And that's part of what I guess the Universal Genève, you know, collecting is about in some ways. Absolument. All right. Well, I had another one and I'm sorry if I'm kind of leading off with this next one. This is going to be kind of obscure and is maybe a little bit more, you know, my bailiwick than, than yours. But, you know, I... I've got the aviation background and over the past, you know, maybe 40, 50 years, there's been a lot of consolidation in, in aviation manufacturing and probably, you know, the brand or the company, I shouldn't say the brand, but the, the company who's lost to consolidation kind of hit me right in the feels was McDonnell Douglas. So in the modern era, basically, you know, in the United States, we now are down to basically having Boeing, which is subsumed a lot, and Lockheed. And, you know, Boeing's really kind of the only thing, you know, making uh, commercial airliners in North America. But McDonnell Douglas made absolutely great stuff on the military side, on the civil aviation side. Um, the DC 10 will probably always be my favorite, you know, jet ever you know, for commercial transportation, they were just incredibly tough, great performers, really, really cool airplanes and unique and neat, just very cool. And, you know, the idea that the, the company that brought us the C-17 and the DC-10 and the F-4 Phantom, uh, the C-47, all these things, I'm like, eh, I, the, Boeing's, Boeing's great, but come on, man, I, I miss you, McDonnell Douglas. Yeah, no, I think uh, I don't have too much to add to that other than, you know, I can, I can appreciate the sort of uh, sentiment and, um, you know, I guess in some ways this is maybe a broader perspective, but it does sort of speak and you see it in beer and other places too, the sort of the consolidation of, of certain things where you only have a few key players and it just sort of, I don't know, saps some of something out of it. It takes a little, takes a little air out of the balloon, I guess. Yeah, I mean, in terms of you know uh, quality of the the product, 
in terms of aircraft, I mean, Boeing has always been tip top, so there's really nothing to complain of. But it's one of those things where as somebody who appreciates aircraft as, you know, mechanical things that have a soul, for lack of a better way to put you know, John put that very well. Again, mosquito boat. But um, you know, there's just, yeah, the, a certain amount of uniqueness is lost and everything is kind of it's a homogenization. I don't know if that's a word, but you know, a certain sameness, you know, where you hold up different, you know, airlines, airliners in roughly the same class from all these different manufacturers. And they, they kind of all look the same. The DC 10, you know, there's a story I used to work for an airline. Um, I'll tell you offline, but the, the bottom line is basically an aircraft that was, uh, taken, and put through like an incredible flight regime under like in an in extremist scenario. The thing was, you know, rolled and shondelled and, you know, with hundred thousand pounds of, of cargo and a full bag of gas on board came back and did a way, a way overweight, way over speed landing in Memphis. Uh, aircraft ended up being fine. They just, you know, it was, they were built so well and they flew so well. And uh, everybody I know who flies or flew McDonnell Douglas aircraft were like, yeah, they were just f- unbelievably good. Yeah, yeah. No, it, it, again, not to sort of derail it, but um, your comment on sort of the homogenization of things. And there's a really interesting article I saw a little while back. I, I'll, I'll post it somewhere, but it's like sort of everything is everything from a corporate perspective is becoming homogenized, right? It's like, you know, this article I'm referencing, it's like everything, everybody's corporate typeface now is like the same exact thing. It's all this sans serif text. You know, there's no logos, there's no fun logos, there's no fun use of color. Everybody just, everything looks the same. Um, you know, like you said, doesn't take away from the quality of it, but sort of, uh, I don't know, just changes the tenor of being, especially in a in an enthusiast driven space, like the ones that we're talking about, takes it away a little bit. Yeah, I agree. When once everything is kind of alike, what's there's that line from uh, remember the Incredibles where the, the sort of the villain at the end he's like, you know, once everybody's incredible then or once everyone's special or whatever, then no one will be. Yeah. 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 Anyway. Well, dude, speaking of airlines, I, I think mean, this is the, the biggest and the, the 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 most obvious, right? Yeah, this is the last one, the last thing on my list and there's and there really can be several, but um, you know, the first among me equals has got to be Pan Am. I would argue which, it's the, which does yeah. surprisingly when I shouldn't say surprisingly, I should ask you why maybe, which does enjoy a certain reverence that some of these other brands do not. No, true. I mean, you know, Pan Am was, I think, and, and still sort of remains like maybe one of the world's first like global mega brands. And you know, it's, it's right up there with something, you know, like, uh, you know, Coke or Apple or whatever, but it was just such an important, um, you know, corporate entity. It, it was an airline. The United States doesn't have a, a, a flag carrier per se, the way, you know, there's not like government involvement the way there are in some, you know, maybe some European airlines or Asian airlines, but it was the closest thing to like a de facto American flag carrier that we had. You know, I, I think a lot of people would argue that United or TWA would be right up there too, uh, just because of the historical development. That's fine. 
But I mean, Pan Am, I think is clearly the most important thing to the point where there's, there's a Pan Am podcast out there that talks about the history of Pan Am, you know, that's got like 40 odd episodes or something like that now. And it's, it's pretty good. It's kind of interesting. Pan Am branded stuff still sells. Witness the Zodiac come out not that long ago. That's right. That's right. I think, you know, I wrote a treatment for the, you know, the spirit of time feed. Um, I, I love stuff like that. And I think a lot of people love stuff like that. And it's all about that Pan Amness that harkens back to that kind of romantic era of air travel and the discovery in the jet age and just making the world smaller. It's hugely important. And it's one of those things where, okay, all of the, the benefits of what that company did basically still exists. But it it is kind of a bummer that that company doesn't exist anymore. It was just it was unique and different. I I regret not having been in the industry very long when they went you know um, when they became defunct basically. But as I said in that in that little treatment for the Zodiac Pan Am you know World Time GMT that they do. Thirty years after ceasing operations, I mean it still like looms really large as a as a brand entity. And it doesn't even exist anymore, really. That's it. You know, you made an interesting comment, and I don't think I had realized sort of the global recognition that it enjoyed or earned. You said it was almost like a Coca Cola or, you know, or whatever. That maybe gives me a little more frame of reference because, you know, quite frankly, as somebody who didn't ever see Pan Am as a company, some of it you're just kind of like, wow, how are people still releasing? products or watches or swag or merch or talking on podcasts about this thing. But yeah, I mean, if Coca-Cola folded tomorrow, then yeah, they would, you know, there would be a, a similar, maybe a similar sentiment. So. Yeah, man, for sure. So that's, that's my yeah. list. No, there was one more that you forgot. The Gruen, Gruen watches. Oh my God. How could I forget? That is critical. Yeah. Um, well, dude, you know, jump in here and stop me. But Gruen is one of those. Gruen was like a, a watch that my grandparents bought me when I graduated. Um, you know, it was a, a quartz piece and I wish I'd hung on to it. I probably have it somewhere. I mean, it's just long since, you know, lost track of it. But um, what an important name in watchmaking for so long. I mean, there's a bond connection, right? We talked about you that know? with Jason Heaton on our episode with him. Yep. Yep. Um, there's a Cincinnati connection for the whiskey and watches guys. That's, uh, you know, I've, I've got some really interesting sort of speculation from our friend horology 411 chase kind of sat down with me at one point was telling me a little bit about the history of this company and how they, you know, done some, uh, manufacturing in the United States and also brought in stuff from, uh, from Gasuta and from different companies that they worked with, suppliers, part suppliers and movement suppliers in Switzerland, uh, one of which was Egler, which went on to be, you know, basically absorbed by Rolex. It's just a really interesting history, a long history, and it just didn't ended up not kind of standing the test of time. It was, I agree. And it was, you know, it does, it's sort of, in my opinion, um, uh, it's very evocative of a certain time, you know, um, it just, it, it just looks of the sixties in a, in a very cool, very amazing way. Um, there's one Gruen watch that always scratches at me a little bit. It's that, um, 
day night. It's a Gruen Precision day night. Have you ever seen that before? It's basically. Do you know what I'm talking about? I don't think so. So or if I have, I've forgotten it by the name. Maybe if yeah, I yeah, I don't know if that's like a super well known name for it, but essentially it's it's a it's a very classic looking dress watch, um, and where all of the hour markers would be or where they are, there's also these little apertures, and it changes colors. The markers change colors depending on the on the on the you know the twelve hour sequence. So at six o'clock they move from. Uh, uh, from green to black. And then, you know, again, at the next 12 hours, it switches back over. It's just <laughs> such a cool, it's such a cool little, uh, 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 sort of quirk, quirky piece that I, I would, I've always loved. I've always appreciated from afar. I would love to grab one. I just haven't gotten around to it. $739 on this, uh, this sale site. I'm looking at it. It does look cool. I mean, it basically, it looks like, you know, just what you'd expect a Gruen precision of that era to look like. But as you say, the, the, the markers look like they're enlarged a little bit. They're sort of these sharp ovoid looking markers with kind of rectilinear little apertures in each of them. It's interesting looking. I'd love to see it. Like, I can't tell in this light if we're looking at the green or the black. That, manual that first yeah. picture the first cool. picture looks like it's green or excuse me black and then if you come down to like um uh some of the later photos i think you'll be able to see the green it's also tilted at an angle okay yeah 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 so it's definitely a lighter color it's just i mean what how what a fun whimsical way to do like sort of a day night indicator right but but to your point it, it looks like how a gruen should look if you thought about a gruen in your head Oh yeah, absolutely. It is, it's the 100% characteristic look of Gruen. And I think it looks really, really phenomenal. Actually, it's kind of interesting looking at it, you know, from the underside with the, uh, the case back taken off. Yeah. Nice movement, right. You know, kind of a basic hand wound 17 jewel, but, uh, the lugs look like they're more conventional from the bottom. And then you, when you look at it, from the top, like you're looking down at the the watch, the lugs look a little bit more sort of conventionally gruen, you know, like kind of soldered on. And I can't see if this is a, like a nine carat gold or gold fill or whatever, but I mean, it's basically a gold tone cased watch. looks cool. Yeah. I'm guessing gold, gold filled or, or something. Um, yeah, to my understanding, they're pretty, like you said, pretty reasonable, accessible, Accessible, accessible watches. You had mentioned earlier before the call, before we jumped on together, I had one not that long ago and, um, and I thought it was super cool. It had a really neat, I don't know if it was truly engine turn, but sort of an engine turn bezel, trapezoidal, uh, date window, just a great silver, you know, sunburst style and, and a neat sort of dagger handset. I just thought it was really cool. It was a great piece. I, I ended up moving it on after I got this Lugrin, ironically, that I'm wearing just because they sort of occupied a similar space. Um, and then, you know, if, but if this Lugerin wasn't my great grandpops, I mean, quite frankly, the Gruen was probably a, a more interesting and visually striking watch. It was, it was probably cooler. Uh, but this one has, you know, provenance, obviously that makes it that much more important to me. Oh yeah, totally. That makes a lot of sense. And I get it. You know, they're both fairly kind of niche aesthetics. So if there's a lot of overlap, you're really probably only going to wear the one you like the most, and then one's going to kind of sit. Yeah, exactly. 
Yeah, it took a lot of discipline for me to not buy that from you, that Gruen precision. Because <laughs> you talked about it. You were like, ooh, I don't know. Well, and then I, I knew I would buy it and then basically appreciate it, but have it be the same scenario that you were experiencing, which is to say it would just be parked. Yeah, exactly. You know? And my buddy, our, uh, uh, my buddy Marv, another a local guy, he he bought it and he wears it. I see him wear it, so, which is cool. I, you love, I mean, that's what we all want, right? When we let something go, you just hope that someone's either, they can appreciate it and or wear it, but if they're doing both, then that's awesome. Everybody wins. Dude, I love that a guy named Marv is wearing like a <laughs> mid-century Gruen that he bought from you. That's awesome. He's a rad guy. Uh, I won't call out his, 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 his info on here because I don't know, you know, but uh, you probably have seen, anyway, he's a good guy. No, that's, that's super cool. Sorry. Whenever I hear that name, it makes me think immediately of like Merv Griffin or <laughs> more throwbacks, more yep, throwbacks yep, for sure. Well, Hey man, that is my list. Is there any other kind of brands you want to throw out? No, I think we covered, man, we covered, we covered beers, we covered planes, we covered cars, watches. I mean, that's a lot of ground. Um, there's more out there. I'd be curious. I think you had maybe made a call earlier if folks thought we, if there's like a glaring omission from our list, it doesn't have to be in those particular areas, you know, of industry or, or whatever, but if there's sort of a, a brand or a company or something that was super important or has been overlooked and has not been brought back or, or quite frankly, that you just miss, I'd be curious what, what folks might add to our list. Yeah. Please give us a, uh, give us a shout, send something via DM, send us an email. That would be cool. Yeah, for sure. Um, should we do recommendations? Yeah, although I wanted to squeeze in one more quick thing just because it does feel like it's become a bit of a phenomenon. But I, I mentioned it briefly. It was just a two or three way you know thing that started about two weeks ago between myself and former guest Asha Wagner, right? So this is Wildlander 6. We were going back and forth about, okay, we're both Magnum PI fans. And as we alluded to kind of at the beginning of the show, right? I mean, I'm wearing the you know, the, the Hawaiian shirt. I've got the, the GMT watch. I've got the, um, almost UDT shorts that Magnum PI wore, you know, in that first season they're, um, they're comfortable for me, but if we were in the same room, they'd be uncomfortable for you. How about that? <laughs> that's, that's how short they are. Um, so we, we decided to say, Hey, who can, who can basically manifest that man Magnum PI vibe best in our feeds. We've gone back and forth and it's kind of expanded and exploded a little bit over the past like two weeks. So Asha obviously is participating, but we've seen entries from Tom Place, who we have got to have on. Tom, we want to have you on. And congratulations. I understand through the rumor mill, you've been nominated for a uh, an Emmy. That's unbelievable. That's Expedition 16610. Um, Which is a, a fascinating oh. account and well, account, but also a story in its own right. So go check that out. Oh yeah. Yeah, totally. That's a must follow. Um, Kelly Murphy, right? Beer Nye. I want to say he's involved with, uh, you know, beer production and I think, you he know, is. quality control and he's a science guy, I think on the, on the production side. Cheers. But he dropped a few good ones, including one today. Um, Alex, Alex, I don't know your last name, but dub love 16, um, also had some, like some fire entries and movements of action of all things. That one got a lot of attention, got us a, a quite a few new follows too. So thanks for that, dude. Um, but we know that there's a lot of people out there that enjoy Magnum PI. And I suspect that if we could kind of scratch and find out, we would find out that like watch enthusiasm 
has a, as about as much of an overlap, you know, with Magnum PI fandom as it does with Bond fandom. At least that's my theory. I don't know. Well, I think it's bearing itself out. And I actually, I would not have guessed that, you know, prior to this and, and not to, to revisit it too, too many times, but, and another shout out to, to Mike and Balash on Fratello on Air, who, who went sort of into a little mini diatribe about Magnum and, uh, and, and, and Balash's uh, appearance on, on the pod. So that was pretty rad. Yeah, totally. And unfortunately, I hate to say it, but you know, we could have easily put Magnum PI in this as a topic here, because as you know, there was a reboot and the reboot has recently been canceled again for the yeah. second time. And again, it's enormously popular. There's a lot of people who are already kind of, you know, drafting letters to the different networks for somebody to pick it up. I suspect that it is probably just expensive. So who knows? But and a sh- shout out to Asha because I, I, you were, you were running point on posting stuff for, for the Magnum PI vibe challenge, which is the hashtag. And, uh, and I just didn't feel like I had the, the requisite, um, juice. <laughs> so I finally posted something earlier in the week or last week. And, and Asha said, it's about time. What have you been doing? And I said, I'm sorry. I just don't have all the props that you guys have, you know, with the shirts and the shorts and the, and the hats and the, all the stuff, you know, and, and she said, it's not about props. It's about vibes. It's about, it's about, you know, and so she brought it back home. It was like, okay, no, she's right. Yeah, man. I think you've got the, uh, you've got the pool and you could definitely make a lot happen there, I think, in terms of the photography and stuff. So it's been fun. And we encourage anybody, if you're listening to this, if you want to participate, please do, you know, tag us in images that hashtag Magnum PI vibe challenge. That'd be a lot of fun. For sure. Very cool. Yeah. Anyway, having said all that, yeah, let's uh, let's dive into some recs because I think we got some some decent recommendations. Yeah, for sure. Man, I've got a couple. I'm trying to think which one I want to go for. Um, I know what yours is. So that's, let's see if we can go slightly off from there. Um, I've got two, uh, let's do this. Let's do this one. This is I, this one I've been spending more time on recently. So this, and I can save the other ones for another time. Um, there are, I, I'm imagining several people are, are nodding, they're going to be nodding their head. They're like, yeah, oh yeah, we, we already know what this is. But there is essentially like a puzzle online. Um, the first one was geared, was specifically for baseball. And there's been some offshoots from there. It's called the Immaculate Grid. And the basic premise is you have nine tiles. And in each of the, and they're broken up into uh, an axis and a, uh, axes of three. So you have three, three things up top, three things on the side and where they meet, they have to be the same thing, right? So you might have on, on the top axis, you might have, uh, let's just say, you know, Los Angeles Dodgers. And on the first axis on, or on the first square on, on the other axis, you might have uh, San Diego Padres. You have to pick a player that played for both the, the Padres and the Dodgers. If you click, if you, if you pick the person correctly, it populates, it tells you, uh, how many, what percentage of other people have also picked that person. And so the more obscure the reference, the higher score you get, and then it goes across and you're supposed to fill in all nine of these, basically almost like a crossword puzzle or a Sudoku puzzle, all nine of these grids, all nine of these boxes, but you only get nine guesses. So if you get one wrong, you automatically can't complete the puzzle. So it's, it's, there's sort of like high stakes in some ways, right? Um, of the nine squares, 
six of them are matched by team, right? So you have to pick a player that played for both teams that would have, would have matched on each row and column. And then the last column is, or, or row could be like a, a statistical category, hit 50 home runs or hit 300 for their career or had a hundred RBIs in a season. I'm kind of belaboring it. The point is you just got to go to immaculate grid, start playing, especially if you're a baseball fan or, or, or whatever it is addicting. It is the coolest concept. These, I think a, maybe somebody programmed it in like a couple days, just recently over the last few months. And it's just, the uptick has been tremendous. It's great fun. There's been some offshoots now. There's a, an NBA one called NBA crossover grid. And then they were doing football, uh, NFL, and maybe something else. But then now the immaculate grid people are doing a football one and it's much better. It's, you know, it's just, they had, they sort of had the secret sauce already. So, um, and it was acquired by um, Fangraphs, which if you're into baseball is, is sort of a good thing. It's better than being acquired by like the New York Times who probably just fold it in a couple months or something. So anyway, so it- Immaculate Grid, Sudoku slash crossword puzzle slash baseball, you know, historical and statistic, you know, whatever. Very fun. Is it a, is it a dot com or is it an app or what? It is not an app. They, I bet you, I bet you they're, they're working on an app because right now, like, it's immaculategrid.com. And okay. if if they ha- basically you could say remind me to play tomorrow. I've never done that. I don't know how they do that. You probably have to put in like an email. Maybe you get an email every day, like, hey, today's every day is new. It's a new one. You can't replay it. And once you play it once, you can't play it again. So it, it's just one time. It's like filling out the crossword puzzle from the newspaper in pen. It's just it is what it is. You're gonna play again tomorrow. Um and, uh, but I bet you if they had an app, I, I can only imagine their usership would be like through the roof. Yeah. That sounds interesting. As somebody, I don't even really follow baseball that closely, but that sounds like something that would be a fun time waster. It's certainly a time waster. I will say it's pretty hard. It's pretty hard. I have not successfully solved one. Probably someone's going to say like, are you serious? You've been trying it and you haven't done it. Um, it's kind of hard. It's kind of hard. You have to be pretty, I think you have to be a little bit, you know, have your fingers on the pulse, but, um, it's super fun. I've gotten close, probably gotten eight out of nine to this point, but, uh, I'm still looking for my, my first successful grid. Well, dude, I know you're going to get there. This weekend's going to be your weekend. One can dream. Yep, for sure. Well, I have a recommendation that's on a completely different, you know, uh, not level. That sounds different, but, um, it's, you know, off the beaten path from yours. And that is, you know, we talk about watches and spirits and this is kind of spirits and adult beverage adjacent, but you know, about what, about a year and a half ago, we had a really popular episode with, um, local kind of spirits maven, David Driscoll. And he has a podcast called the two nineteen podcast. It's, you know, the number two spelled out T W O dash or hyphen. 19 spelled out. Um, I listen to it via Apple, but I think it's distributed through kind of all the normal podcast channels. It's relatively new. I think there's just three or four episodes at this point, but it's basically short form. He's really trying to stick to it. I think every you know podcaster wants to do something that's 20 minutes and then we never do, but he seems like he is successfully keeping it to like 20 to maybe 22 minutes. And it's kind of his thoughts on some kind of behind the scenes you know, references in the spirits world. Um, for people who don't know, you know, David, aside from just being, you know, kind of a, a knowledgeable consumer, 
has worked in you know the adult beverage industry for a long time, um, marketing and online and stuff like that for allocated spirits. So you know, think Scotch, bourbon, the stuff basically that you can't get. You know, and he's kind of uh, been with a number of big retail establishments that people who are into that hobby, especially in the Western United States, would probably know. But then David also knows a lot of people and has his own side business, which I think now is his his business business. And that is basically being a brand consultant for all kinds of beers. I should not say beers, um, all kinds of brands, uh, celebrity owned brands, um, you know, brands that are bringing kind of completely different subcategories to the market. So I'm, I'm thinking of, you know, Leopold Brothers, um, you know, they're sort of new, completely different type of, of uh, rye whiskey. And we talked about that at some point, I think a few episodes ago about how he, you know, was, um, you know, relating to us the story of how these guys in Colorado basically sourced an old style still and are learning on the fly how to do it the old way. But it's a fascinating listen. The most recent one was about beers. I've got beers on the brain, dude. Wine from Santa Santa Cruz. Yeah. And you know, that's just not something that even people from California, I mean, typically, you know, for us, the big, like, you know, viticulture areas are going to be, you know, Napa, Sonoma, uh, maybe parts of the Central Valley for like bulk Zinfandel production, which it still tends to be very good. Um, there's the Central Coast, Paso Robles, Santa Barbara, et cetera. But there's a, a whole old school thing going on in Santa Cruz for wine. And he talks about that quite a bit and, you know, has guests on and they, they keep it short and pithy. And he's got a voice that's definitely made for radio. The guy can really, I think, you know, do a podcast. He must have been, was he a teacher at some point? I don't know, but in one of the, maybe in one of the episodes, he references that he did do a podcast a number of years ago. So it's, it's probably maybe like riding a bike to him. He's, he's pretty good at it. He's got a voice for radio. You and I have faces for radio basis for podcast. Um, but it's all good. Yeah. But I've got a head of hair for the silver screen, baby. <laughs> anyway. So yeah, that's my recommendation. 219 podcast. Um, you know, it's, it's early days, you know, you don't have to, if you want to go and listen to all of them, you can binge the entire, basically the entire offering in about an hour and 20 minutes. Uh, but presumably more will come. And if you're into the kind of things that we're into, and again, you know, that's uh, fine wine and, and craft beer and spirits and allocated spirits and stuff like that. David's your guy and go back and listen to that episode, man. It's, it's very cool. David Driscoll. Agreed. We had a lot of fun with that one. Uh, I think that puts a ribbon on this one. Pretty good. That was a lot of fun. I think that was a, a, a really interesting topic. Maybe one that'll take people down memory lane a little bit. And we'd love to hear what folks are thinking about where we maybe, you know, with some holes in our list, but other things that we didn't think about. And in the meantime, we'll drink some Anchor Steam and, and cheers those uh, that crew for putting out a great beer for a very long time. Cheers to you, buddy. It's good to see you. Always a pleasure. Cheers. Salute. We hope you enjoyed the episode. Don't forget to rate us on your podcast platform of choice. It really does help. You can find us on Instagram at Spirit of Time Podcast and contact us at Spirit of Time Podcast at gmail.com. As always, please drink responsibly. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time.